Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Michelle Beck. This is Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. I am a two-time and nine-year survivor of breast cancer. And when I have time, you can find me on social media or my blog, I Never Liked Pink, which I don't have very much time, so don't expect much, but please check it out. So my guest today is Dr. Jessie Rubin. She's a reproductive endocrinologist. Hope I got that right. At Reproductive Biology Associates in Atlanta. And she has a passion for helping couples who are struggling with fertility issues. And she works on so many aspects of this, focusing on preservation of fertility before and after cancer therapy, along with IVF treatment, polycystic ovarian syndrome, third-party reproduction, diminished ovarian reserve, which so many of us get to as we age, unfortunately. And I think it's more common now than ever, or we know more about it. I don't know, but she is a specialist in all these things. And she is here to talk about that today. So Dr. Rubin, welcome. And thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, please. The, the non-work side before we dig into all that. Absolutely. Well, first off, thank you, Michelle, for having me here today and for helping me shed light on something that is just such an important topic that doesn't get enough attention. So I'm so glad that we're having this discussion today. So as you mentioned, I'm a double board certified uh, physician in OBGYN and reproductive endocrinology. And um, I'm a native of Atlanta. I'm lucky to practice in the same city where I grew up. And fertility preservation is something near and dear to my heart. We've all had, you know, close friends. I've had acquaintances, colleagues, several people come down with breast cancer during their reproductive years. And so I feel lucky to be able to work in a field where I, I can help those women. Personally, I've also done egg freezing myself for non-oncologic reasons. So I know what it's like to be on the other side of, of the fence. I, um, I'm married to also a surgeon who does a lot of oncology surgeries as well. So um, this is just such such an important topic, and I'm so glad to be here. Well, thank you. It's it sounds obviously very near and dear to your heart, and I experienced. I I didn't go through any fertility issues, but when I was diagnosed my first time around, I was 41, and my son was 18 months, and we were actually trying to have another child at that point. And then I was diagnosed and my husband came with four bonus kids. And so we already had five and I was almost 42 and they're like, well, you can go through treatment, you can suspend treatment and, or you can try again later. And we decided that we were good with what we had. And I, I, but so many people are not that fortunate. And that's why I'm so thankful that you're here to talk about that today. So how common overall, not just not in the cancer world, um, is infertility for couples who are really trying to conceive? Infertility is actually very common. And I think it's something that has gotten more media attention lately and women feel more comfortable talking about it because it used to feel very isolating, but it actually affects about 10 to 15% of reproductive couples. And some places say it's probably even more common than we realize. And it affects over 6 million women in the United States. So Infertility is something that really needs to kind of raise awareness about because it is very common. And now that women are more vocal about their journey, 
all of us can relate by having a friend or a family member or a colleague that has struggled with fertility. Well, and it's also, I think, really important in becoming trying to take away the shame of it because so many times as over the the time has gone on, women are like, that's what they're like supposed to do. And that's the biggest generalization ever, but it's just like, oh, you, you should become a mom. It's very natural. But for many women, it's great. They don't, you know, not everyone needs to have kids and, but those who want to and can't, I think they feel so much guilt in, oh my gosh, my own body is not working. And yes, there are problems also with their spouses or partners, but so many times the women just take it on themselves. And I think naturalizing these conversations and raising more awareness that there are things that can be done is so important. Absolutely. There's a lot of, you know, perceived shame and guilt with struggling with fertility. And it's something that I think older generations never spoke about whatsoever. And now that there is social media and blogs and people being vocal about using egg donors or going through IVF or using a gestational carrier, it's becoming a lot more commonplace to have these difficult discussions. But it, you know, it's something that I really strive to do, which is separating the shame or the embarrassment from needing to do fertility treatment with, you know, you know, the whole process and the journey. And I completely understand it. I froze my eggs when I was 30. And I remember not telling people I was doing it at the time, thinking I should have been married. I would have thought I would have had kids by now. And all of these things that you hear and women, I think, are raised to hear. And we need to change that conversation and change the dialogue and change the message that we're sending out to young women. Oh, 100%. I didn't meet my husband until I was 37. So I was, I was a late in life, Mary late in life, mom, and unfortunately early in life cancer. So I just had, I had everything happen in a very short period of time, but I'm very fortunate that I had my son before I was diagnosed, but then there's people that say, well, you didn't breastfeed until you were after 40. So that raises your risk of cancer. So there's so many things out there that are just crazy, but how can cancer treatment affect your fertility? So it really can impair both the number of eggs that you have, and we think potentially the quality of those eggs as well. For all women, we're born with a set number of eggs, and over time, the quantity and the quality diminishes. For most women, it starts to have a more rapid rate of egg loss and um, a worsening of quality around our mid-30s, around the age of 35 is where it becomes more significant, but certainly cancer treatment can expedite that and accelerate it. And the things that we worry about with cancer treatment specifically tend to be chemotherapy Mm -hmm. and also pelvic radiation, if pelvic radiation is necessary, or even brain radiation. Any type of radiation to the head can actually affect hormones that have a downstream effect on the ovaries. Oh, hormones. Yeah. Boy, I miss miss that estrogen in my body for sure. Um, what can someone who is diagnosed, what can they do? And if they're young and want to have children and they haven't yet, what can they do to help preserve their fertility? I think the first thing is just to be vocal about it and to mention it to your oncologist. Your oncologist can then refer you to a fertility specialist like myself, who will be able to walk you through all of the options of what to do next. I think oftentimes when you are diagnosed with you know, a breast cancer diagnosis or even any cancer diagnosis, and you're young and in your reproductive years, it's so shocking and it's a lot of information to take in and absorb. And the oncologist 
you know, can feel nervous about talking about fertility because they don't want to make you feel bad. They're not the expert in the area and they're not sure exactly what to say or how to say it. And so I think if it doesn't get brought up by the oncologist and fertility is something that you're interested in, I recommend saying, you know, that it's important to you and asking to be referred to a fertility specialist because there's a couple of different options you can do to try to help preserve fertility and chance of conception after treatment. But it's most helpful if you do them before you start the chemotherapy or before you start the pelvic or um, brain radiation. Now, how much time does the egg freezing process take? Because a lot of times when you're diagnosed and unfortunately for more women, they're being diagnosed younger and often with more aggressive cancers. So you get a cancer diagnosis, you go in to see your oncologist, your head is exploding from all the information you get. And they're like, well, I need you to start chemo in two weeks. And you're like, whoa, wait a second. I, if you even have the wherewithal to think about your fertility journey and the process so say you get referred to a fertility specialist like yourself, what is the time frame of something like readying your body to extract and preserve and freeze the eggs? When we're doing egg freezing for women for oncofertility purposes or what we call oncofertility just means, you know, for preservation prior to cancer treatment, then when we're doing that, we actually can do it in an accelerated uh, speed. Okay. And so I've had women come in and meet with me they've started medications for egg freezing the next day or the day after, and it takes a two week interval to do egg okay. freezing. So mm -hmm. there's really no way to get it quicker than two weeks, but it's actually done a lot faster than most people think. And mm -hmm. what I'll tend to do is have a discussion with the oncologist, if there's a radiation oncologist, get everybody involved, make sure everybody and the patient are in agreement to get started. And then if we decide that it's something that we think we can wait two weeks to start chemotherapy, then we go ahead and start right away. Mm -hmm. And this way it doesn't delay them starting their chemotherapy. Yeah. That's actually much faster than I had thought, because I guess I've never, I've never really dug into that process. I was incredibly fortunate. <laughs> this a silly side note here. I had been on birth control for 20 years and my husband and I, our wedding was planned. We were, we were like, okay, I, I knew I wanted to have my own children. I have my stepkids who I love dearly, but I really wanted to experience all of that. And like, I'm going to go off birth control. We went off birth control in May. Mind you, my wedding was in August. I'm like, it is going to be months before I get pregnant. I've got to get all these things out of my body. I got pregnant in six weeks. So I was seven weeks pregnant at my wedding. <laughs> It's amazing how you just, you can't predict biology. Yes. And so I'm incredibly lucky and incredibly fortunate. So I don't know much about this issue, but it's, it seems like that is super fast. So the women will be taking, um, is it Clomid the shots that they do? It's actually going to be, they're called gonadotropins, but what yeah. they are, they're injections and mm -hmm. they stimulate what the brain normally produces to help your body grow eggs. Okay. but you take this medicine exogenously. So it helps you grow more eggs than you would in a natural cycle. So it ends up being, um, two types of medicines. Typically one is a form of FSH. One is a form of the LH hormone and they're injections that women can administer at home. They're mm -hmm. subcutaneous. They're right under the skin and they're actually pre pretty easy to do. And much easier than any of the, you know, the chemotherapy treatment for cancer. Oh, definitely. And how effective is egg freezing? I imagine at this point, there's a lot of science behind that. 
There is. Unfortunately, the science has advanced so much over the last few decades. And so freezing eggs, which are just, you know, unfertilized eggs that we collect tend to have a very good survival rate when you go to use them. Around 90 to 95% will at least survive the thaw and then they will fertilize and grow. Um, or you can also freeze embryos, which are fertilized eggs, and those also have a very good survival rate. So the actual process of the number of eggs that you'll get and the health of those eggs, that's gonna be a little bit different for each woman. And that depends a lot on their baseline egg reserve testing, which can be done with a blood test and also off of their age. I know um, I've definitely heard of more and more women and through podcasts actually, who are, as they age, they're really looking into the, the doing the egg counts and things like that to see like, okay, is it time? Do I have to do this now? Or do I still have time to wait? Because I think too, it's so important because women are waiting longer because of their careers and they want to, we don't have to become mothers at 22 now, like our, our parents and our grandparents did. We have more time to explore our careers and travel and do all these wonderful things. Not that you can't do that when you have kids. It's just a little bit different. It is. And biology hasn't adapted to society's cultures. So biology has your fertility peak in your mid twenties, but for most women now, you know, in 2022, they're not having children in their mid twenties and they're focusing on their careers and their education and their travel and finding the right partner. And most women are having children in their thirties or early forties. And so, you know, because biology hasn't adapted to, to that, you know, I really recommend that women get baseline screening with a blood test with their GYN. If they're 30, they haven't had kids. They don't think it's anywhere in the near future it's a perfect time to just do some baseline testing because if their egg count is low, then they might want to be more proactive and freeze eggs sooner. Now, is it more effective success rate to, for, to take the, to conception or not conception delivery, I guess, of a child to have frozen eggs um, that you fertilize later or embryos that you freeze and then thaw out. And you know what I'm asking? I'm not, I'm not saying it very well. I apologize. Exactly what you're asking. So embryos do a little bit better when you go to um, unfreeze them, but they also give you a little bit more information. So when you have an egg and you freeze it, you don't know yet if it's going to fertilize or grow or if it's healthy. If you have an embryo, which is just a fertilized egg, that means that you've already inseminated. It has successfully fertilized. It has successfully grown and you might've even genetically tested it to see if it would result in a healthy baby. So embryos ultimately give you more information up front, mm -hmm. but the chance of whether the egg is gonna fertilize and grow and be healthy is not different whether you fertilize it now or you fertilize it later. So I really tell women when they're trying to decide, do they freeze eggs or do they fertilize them and freeze embryos? I think it depends mostly on your social situation. If you're married, if you're in a relationship where you are 100% confident that is who you wanna be with, then absolutely go and create embryos. But if you're single or you're just not quite in that relationship that you think will be hopefully your forever partner, then you're much better off to freeze eggs in the beginning. And it's important that you ask that because a lot of women don't realize they can freeze eggs without having a partner. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to have a partner in order to do this. Yeah. I mean, we're as, as we know, it's, it's our bodies that it all happens in. So it's, it starts with us. We, we need the sperm too, but it's, it, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, 
So, so many things going on in the country right now that it's making my head explode. But uh, I was going to say it's a very, very appropriate for you know the the current uh, political climate and the in the news as of yesterday. So yeah, I think it's very important that women are proactive about their reproductive rights and their ability to do fertility preservation because that's something that didn't exist a couple decades ago, and we're very fortunate that the technology has advanced as far as it has. Oh, 100%. And we do have so much more to talk about, but we are going to jump out here and take a quick break. So listeners, if you need anything from Breast Friends, please go to our website and check out patient programs to see what we can do for you. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest is Dr. Jesse Rubin, reproductive endocrinologist. I'm sorry, it's too early in the morning for me to say the big words. Uh, So Jesse, I want to continue on a little bit with the egg freezing. How does a patient know that the egg freezing is a good fit for them? It's a great question. So for women that are interested in preserving their fertility and thinking about egg freezing, what I recommend is making a consult with a fertility specialist. We can do an ultrasound and we can do blood work and let you know if we think it is a good option and if it seems to be something that would have a reasonable chance of giving us some eggs to freeze. On a general note, women um, do better when they're in their early 30s, mid 30s than they do in their late 30s or early 40s, but there are no absolute age cutoffs when considering egg freezing. And it really just depends on what your goals are and what the testing looks like. How long are eggs or embryos viable um, to be frozen and then come back and make babies? With the current technology that we have, they do something called a rapid vitrification process. And eggs and embryos survive for many decades with the same chance of success. And so what's really nice about this option is specifically for a woman who's been diagnosed with cancer, she can take eggs or embryos, freeze them, go through treatment, 
make sure that, you know, everything looks good several years later, her oncologist is on board with her getting pregnant, and then she can go back and use those eggs or embryos, and they're not impaired at all by the fact that they've been frozen for a couple of years. That uh, technology is amazing. I mean, I, there, there's so many amazing things, but who thought that, that we're going to do this? We're just going to take these little things that you can barely even see and praise them. And then they're going to turn into babies later on. It's just, it blows my mind. Um, which is why I'm not a doctor. (laughs) You know, I think it's incredible how far the technology has come. And I think over the last few decades, we've really gotten smarter and wiser and better at being collaborative and working together as a team. I'm lucky to work for the Prelude team where we have a network of clinics and we can share, you know, what do we do in the lab that's successful? How can we improve? How can we be getting better? Because a lot of good medicine is collaboration. And I think the next shift in transition for fertility is going to be, you know, screening for specific genes and the genetic aspect. And we can already test for women who have BRCA. We can Mm -hmm. test the fertilized eggs, making sure BRCA doesn't get passed down. But as we learn more about cancer and more about those genes, I think the genetics is really going to be the wave of the future when we look at fertility treatment. And just the fact that, you know, we can prevent women from passing down, you know, genetically inherited forms of breast cancer to their children is so impactful. I can only imagine where we're going to be in a couple decades from now. That, yeah, that's amazing that you can actually test for BRCA at that stage with, mm-hmm. again, why I'm not a doctor. Um, now, if, if someone starts the process of chemotherapy and treatment, is egg um, gathering and freezing not an option? Is it too difficult on the patient or the eggs? Good question. So ideally, what we want to do is to get the eggs and to freeze them before chemotherapy, Mm -hmm. because the chemotherapy targets the actively dividing cells in the body. And the ovarian tissue where the eggs are, are one of those actively dividing cells. And so the chemotherapy can lower the number of eggs that a woman has after chemotherapy. And that's the biggest risk. Mm -hmm. And also questionably if it affects quality or not, but several women have had healthy babies with eggs, you know, that are from after chemotherapy. So, you know, ideally you would do it before chemotherapy just because the egg yield's going to be better. Mm-hmm. But I have had several women that have had chemotherapy several years ago, came back, you know, fertility preservation wasn't the right fit for them for whatever reason before they had chemo and they've successfully done IVF after. So it's better before, but you really can do it in either way. Okay. You just answered my next question. So that actually leads me to another question though. Are the changes that chemo does to your body? Will it essentially, will it damage your uterus? Um, Obviously if you're having pelvic radiation, that's always a concern, but say if you're having breast radiation or somewhere else in your body, will it make your uterus more inhospitable than it would have prior? As long as you're not on chemotherapy when you're pregnant, a lot of women have successfully had healthy full-term babies after having chemotherapy. Like you mentioned, if you've had direct radiation to the pelvis and the uterus, then you have to be a little bit more cautious. If you've had radiation to the breast, most radiologists are very good about shielding the pelvis when they do the radiation. And then it is not a contraindication to pregnancy. That is good to hear. I had just radiation on one breast and it affected that ear, my hearing in that ear and my taste buds. So it's crazy. The things that it does to your body. 
does. And for some women, rarely, but sometimes they do need a hysterectomy if they, you know, find malignancy or they carry certain genes. And if that's the case, we can actually still use women's eggs and have a gestational carrier carry the pregnancy. And so what I want to emphasize is there are just so many ways to build your family that we have a lot of different options depending on each woman's journey and what their fertility goals are. I love that. I actually had one of my guests who I had on early last year. Um, I found her on Instagram because she was deadlifting um, bald. Uh, like uh, after she had finished chemo, she was out there deadlifting and I'm like, okay, you are amazing. And so I had her on my show. And one of the things Uh we talked about was her fertility journey and she had been able to freeze eggs and they're using a, a, a gestational surrogate right now. And they have twins due in like five weeks. And it's just so inspiring to follow these women and see what they're able to do with these journeys. Um, now they're, they're using a surrogate, but if, say I've, I've frozen my eggs or my embryos, what would, and I have gone through cancer treatment, but I'm doing better. How long should someone wait to let their body heal after treatment or chemotherapy before they can try the, um, uh, implantation process, I guess. Great question. So when we're trying to decide when's the right time to actually implant and get a woman pregnant, it's always an open discussion between the patient and how she feels if she's ready the oncologist and myself. And generally once a woman is off of tamoxifen or any hormonal therapy and the oncologist gives them the go ahead, then we will start by doing just an ultrasound in the office, some screening blood work, and we're ready to go ahead and do an implantation. How many say a person is able to freeze 10 eggs or that many embryos? How many would you normally implant? because I know there are stories of women getting pregnant and having five, six, seven, eight babies. And I just blows your mind. It does. And that is definitely not our goal. So, you know, back when the technology wasn't as good as it is, we used to not be good at freezing embryos and we weren't really confident in the embryos that we did have frozen. And so we would just put a whole bunch of embryos back in a woman's uterus and hope that one of them sticks. And that's how you hear about people having triplets, quadruplets, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, we've gotten a lot wiser, a lot smarter in our IVF labs, and that's not standard of care. If a woman is genetically testing her embryos and we know they're healthy, we generally just transfer them one at a time. If a woman has not genetically tested them, then you can do more than one, but the number we transfer depends on her age. So it's more of a genetic thing, like testing the eggs. And as long as everything looks good, there's no, there's no snips, they're viable, then just go with the one. Absolutely. Cause our ultimate goal is to have a healthy mom and a healthy baby. And when you have, you know, twins, triplets, quadruplets, et cetera, it is just so much more complicated for the mom and the baby. Well, and they're fighting for space and fighting for nutrients and it can be born earlier and so many things say someone is implanted and it doesn't, it doesn't take, how long do you need to wait before you would try something like that again? After you do an implant, 10 days later, you do a blood test and that will let us know if it's successful. And hopefully it is successful. And the woman goes on and is pregnant for nine months. If it's not successful, 10 days after transfer, we know a woman will stop the hormone medicines she's on, and then she can actually restart them with her next cycle. So generally, you know, with the next period, she can go right back into another transfer. 
Now, a completely random question that I just came up. Does your office offer any kind of um, counseling services for, because this, this can be a very emotional process, or do you, do you refer your patients like, please work with a counselor or a therapist because it can be wonderful, but it can also be devastating if it doesn't work. Absolutely. And we find that tied into fertility struggles, there's an increase in anxiety, there's an increase in depression. And then also when you have a cancer diagnosis that only exacerbates all of the emotions that women feel. And so I'm a big believer in counseling and support groups. So we have a recommended list of um, counselors that we often go to who, you know, are not a generic counselor, but they actually understand fertility and they understand Mm -hmm. the journey and the, you know, the specific nuances of going through it. I also have a wonderful counselor I use for um, the oncofertility patients, and she specializes in not just fertility counseling, but also counseling about a cancer diagnosis. And how do you reconcile the two and how do you determine next steps and how to move forward? So I'm a big believer in counseling and mental health support. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, um, there's a lot of good local support groups where I'll send patients because I think it can be very isolating, both Mm -hmm. fertility struggles and a cancer diagnosis. So it's nice to have somebody else who's going through the process that at least they can relate to. 100%. That's, that's one of the things that breast friends does in, in our business that we, we just want to tell people you're not alone. We understand, we get it. We're here for you. And just if, especially this, you know, you're trying, if you're going through this process and working on your fertilization, you want to start a family and it doesn't happen the way you want it to, it can be devastating and being able to talk to other, other women or couples or whatever that it helps spreading. I think I tell people this all the time, spreading the grief helps heal. It's because it's, you take it down from this big, huge pile of grief. And if you spread it out a little bit, even if other people have grief, it definitely helps. So I'm a huge believer in counseling and therapy and all of those things. Me too. And it's actually mental health awareness month. Yes. I was just going to say that. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's something that really, you know, does go hand in hand with every patient interaction that I have. My first question is, how are you doing? How are you feeling? after each cycle, I think it's important to check in emotionally because that is, I honestly think the hardest part of a fertility journey, much harder than any of the physical aspect is the emotional aspect of the journey. Now, how many women, when you ask them that on the first question, they just start to cry. Oh, that's why I have a box of tissues right here. (laughs) Because I I would be the same way. I'm a crier no matter what. And even if, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well, sometimes I'm like, I'm fine. It's all good. But it's so important for me to know when I'm taking care of a patient Mm -hmm. that I have the full picture, you know, at my practice, we try to help them obviously get pregnant and that's the number one goal, but we want to make sure we're emotionally supportive on the journey. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that within our network, we're helping them with the financial counseling. We're helping them with, you know, getting their appointments, all of those different aspects, I think help them feel nurtured and supported. I love that. Now we've been talking a lot about egg freezing and that option. How, um, sorry, let me rephrase that. What are the odds of someone who's gone through treatment to actually conceive naturally? So I think it's actually depends on the chemotherapy that they had, their baseline Mm -hmm. egg testing. 
and also um, what type of chemotherapy, how long do they have the chemotherapy, what combination of chemotherapy, but a lot of women are able to conceive on their own. There is a great um, risk stratification of chemotherapies, and so what I'll often do before a woman has chemotherapy is go through the medications that she's going to have, and we can say, are these low, medium, or high risk? and then try to come up with, you know, what is the chances that your fertility will be impacted? It's a little bit hard because everybody's biology is different. Everybody does a different combination of chemo drugs at different dosages for a different duration, but you know, not everybody is, you know, unable to have children naturally. And I've had some patients that froze eggs, ended up going through all their cancer treatment, got pregnant spontaneously, but every one of them is so glad that they have those frozen eggs as a backup. Oh, definitely. I can, I can only ever use them. Mm -hmm. I know so many people, actually friends who have done fertility treatments and IVF and, and had babies, and then they get pregnant naturally after that. It's like you, your body just is like, Oh, now I know what to do after you help me out a little bit. So true. And I always tell everybody, listen, we can give you statistics all day long, but we cannot predict biology Mm -hmm. and we don't know exactly what's going to work. And we will do our best to get you there, but everybody's, you know, everybody's body's different. Yeah. We talk about that all the time in terms of our our breast cancer journeys that we are, we are all along the same journey, but everyone's path is different. And, you know, we can give recommendations and the same, like we can give statistics and this and that, but everyone is different. And I think it's important to talk about attitude, emotional health, your physical health and your treatment regimen to see where you're going to come out with on the other side. And, and we don't know, but I think that's one of the hardest parts about going through something like cancer or fertility preservation, the unknown, the unknown is just what is so scary. It is exactly what's so scary. And I think the hard part is, is the lack of control and not being able to predict the future, but at least with fertility preservation, you're doing what you can. And I think that there does become, you know, a sense of peace of there's only so much you can do, but doing as much as you can is kind of the best that you can do and going about it with, you know, hopefully a good attitude and a fighting spirit. And I think that those are all very important. And so say a young patient comes to you and they've just been diagnosed. We kind of covered this a little bit, but they're diagnosed. They don't know what they want to do, but they want their surgeon wants or their oncologist wants them to start chemo right away. How do you kind of go over the, the process with them so they can decide what is, what is more important to them? Absolutely. So I'll talk to the oncologist, make sure they're okay with delaying, you know, for two weeks. And I've had cases where they say they're not, and we'll say, this is okay. These are our number one goal is having a biological child after, you know, for you, let's say, how do we get you there? And so if egg freezing is not an option, there is something called taking Lupron, which is a medicine that can suppress the ovaries. And you take it when you do chemotherapy, Mm -hmm. it does put you in a little bit of hot flashes and kind of a menopausal state, but that's a great option with or without egg freezing to try to help those goals. And if that doesn't work and they're still not able to conceive, then there are options like egg donors or gestational carriers. And I think when it comes to family building, we can try to go for option A as much as we want, but we have to be a little bit flexible depending on how things go. But the message is, is that there are options. I love that. And we're actually very familiar with Lupron in the community because that was one of the offers to me. They're like, well, you're both of your cancers 
fed on estrogen. And so we can suppress your ovaries with a shot every month for 10 years, or you can take them out. I'm like, hell to the no. Like I, I was done having kids, like just take them all out. And one less thing for cancer in my body. So that was the choice that I had made. But I do have friends who have chosen the Lupron route. And then later, you know, in a few years when their doctor's like, okay, you're all clear, you can go back off it now. And they're like, oh, wow, I could maybe have kids now. And there are, you know, I know women who've done that option as well. Exactly. Lots of different choices. And each one is right for different women for different reasons. Perfect. We are going to take another short break. So listeners, please stay with us. If you would like to be a guest on my show, please email me at Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. You can make a donation on our website or by texting BF radio to 41444 to help breast friends continue on its mission to ensure that women don't go through cancer alone. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck and my guest is Dr. Jesse Rubin. And we have been talking about fertility treatments um, around the time of cancer. So Jesse, before break, you had mentioned in one of your answers talking about the financial impact of this. Now, from my limited knowledge, I believe that some insurance companies are starting to offer a little bit more coverage for something like this, but I know not all. Are there financial options that you can help your patients with if they can't, if they don't have the money that it costs for something like this? Because it is rather intense. It is. And egg freezing can be expensive. It depends on the geographic region where you are and what clinic you're in. But it generally can range somewhere between, you know, nine to ten thousand dollars up to fifteen thousand dollars. So it is a really big financial burden especially for women that have just been diagnosed with cancer or even men that have just been diagnosed and now they need to pay for cancer treatment as well. And so because of that, there are a lot of really good resources that are available. First, some clinics will offer discounted rates 
for men or women going through fertility preservation. I'm very lucky. I work for the Prelude Network, which is the largest network of fertility clinics. And so we're able to offer a discounted rate for people going through for oncofertility reasons so that they don't have to pay the full cost. Um, sometimes there is insurance coverage, but it just depends on, you know, what insurance you have and what plan. And unfortunately, there's generally not as much coverage as we would like. The other resource that's incredibly um, wonderful is something called Team Maggie. And Team Maggie was started by a patient at my clinic, RBA, who got diagnosed with breast cancer, ended up having children on her own, never needed to use the egg that she froze before chemotherapy. But her and her mother really said, wow, this is a huge financial burden. How mm -hmm. can we help? And it's based out of Atlanta, but they actually offer grants to women across the country um, who are going through egg freezing and they can just help take off some of that financial burden. So for anybody interested, I highly recommend you look into Team Maggie. Um, if you go to Google and type in Team Maggie, it's one of the first hits and it's just a wonderful organization that helps provide financial support and also can provide emotional uh, support as well. I love that. Thank you for, for, for talking about that. Cause that is such an important part of when someone is going through cancer there, there there's literally money is just flowing out of their resources. And there's also Livestrong as well, that if people are not familiar with, they don't help with ultrasounds or testing, but they can provide, um, they do offer some free medications for our egg freezing. Oh. So I recommend team Maggie and mm -hmm. Livestrong and asking your local clinic for a discount. Nice. And live strong. That was the Lance Armstrong foundation. Is that it? Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Um, so funny. It just brings to mind. Oh, Lance Armstrong, Cheryl Crow. She had breast cancer. It's literally, yeah, it's that's related. I, I don't know when <laughs> they started doing it, but I'm glad that they really kind of realized this is an important part in comprehensive cancer care. Definitely. And actually that's one thing thought, thinking about Cheryl Crow is it's naturalizing or normalizing the conversation that everyone gets breast cancer. It doesn't, it has no, no boundaries, no color, no, no, you know, it doesn't matter your, your financial stratification, but it really can affect, unfortunately, people in a lower socioeconomic status much more because of the financial aspect of it and the resources that someone with more money might have more access to. Um, and that's, that's a whole nother, another conversation about healthcare in our country. I agree. The access to medical care, both preconception and during pregnancy is, you know, there's big discrepancies, which we see oftentimes too in lower socioeconomic classes. There is more advanced cancer progression because they haven't had access to all of the screening that somebody else might've had access to. Yeah. So definitely something more that so more things to work on. Um, when someone is successful in either using for uh, frozen embryos or eggs or conceives naturally after a cancer treatment, do you watch them differently? Someone who's gone through chemo and a lot of treatment during their pregnancy, are there other things you should look out for once you are pregnant? Nothing specific from a fertility perspective that we need to do. There's been a lot of studies looking at how does the IVF medications for egg freezing or embryo freezing relate to cancer diagnoses? And specifically for breast cancer, they've looked at, does it increase the risk of breast cancer? And for women who've had breast cancer, does it increase the risk of recurrence of a breast cancer? Uh, uh -huh. And fortunately, the data has shown that 
medicines for egg freezing and embryo freezing with IVF do not increase cancer risk, both for women who've never had cancer or women who've had the breast cancer, it does not increase their recurrence risk. Which is important because that is a fear that is always on every cancer survivor's mind is, is it going to come back? Am I doing the things to stay healthy or am I causing, am I putting things in or around my body that are going to cause a recurrence? And yes, we want to have families and children, but we don't want the cancer to come back. So exactly. And that comes down to the fundamental of you want to do no harm. And that should be your number one goal as a physician. And it's important for patients to know that this is not, you know, something that's going to increase their risk. And also for women that have been diagnosed with breast cancer, it's important to not blame yourself if you've done IVF, because that is not a reason why you have the breast cancer. Yeah. And that's something, unfortunately, with a lot of women with breast cancer, there is that feeling of guilt and shame. Like, what did I do to make this happen to my body? And well, you, you didn't do anything. I, you know, I've seen incredibly fit women who are, you know, they're exercise aficionados and they eat well and they do all the things and don't eat any of the bad foods and they don't drink and they still end up with cancer. So it's, it's just not right. <laughs> How much cancer is out there? It's not right. And it's one of those things that are unfair. And I think women sometimes just need to hear it, that their IVF did not cause it, or mm -hmm. if they have cancer, they can do IVF and it's not going to increase their risk. Sure. Now, is there anything special that you do for a patient who's trying to conceive after treatment? So if you have someone who's coming in for standard IVF, standard egg preservation versus someone who's gone through cancer treatment. Are there different steps or protocols that you would take for the, the cancer survivor? I'd make sure that they were cleared medically, you know, by their oncologist. I'd make sure they haven't had pelvic radiation. Everything with their uterus looks good. There are some slight medication protocol adjustments I make both before chemotherapy and after, because there are some medicines like letrozole you can use that lower your endogenous estrogen hormone levels. And some breast cancers are sensitive and grow when exposed to estrogen. Mm -hmm. And so there are some little changes we can do. Most of them are with the IVF protocol unless once the woman's been cleared for pregnancy. Got it. I've been on letrozole. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, of the, one of the many things that I've tried. Um, now back, back to the egg freezing. I kind of jumped around a little bit. We talked about the, um, oh, we've already answered that question. We have so many questions we've already answered. Um, do you have any words of wisdom for women out there who are going through either just been diagnosed or I know we've, we've briefly talked about getting those different tests. Can you reiterate those things again, um, to women who are just diagnosed or have been thinking about fertility overall? Absolutely. So for anybody thinking about fertility, and especially if you've been just diagnosed, it's important to get in in a timely manner with a reproductive endocrinologist who can see you, they can do a vaginal ultrasound and look at the ovaries. And that will give us a good idea to make sure that the number of eggs you have is normal for your age. And then you can also do a blood test. It looks at a hormone called AMH or anti-malarian hormone, which is another way to assess your egg count. I think for women recently diagnosed, it's important to be vocal. If you want to see a fertility physician, it's important to tell the person scheduling that you are a cancer patient with a new diagnosis. I know in my clinic, I get all cancer patients in within 48 hours because it's really important that they don't wait several weeks mm -hmm. in order to see a fertility doctor 
because by that point they'll be either having started chemotherapy or ready to start chemotherapy. I love that. Do you have any success stories that come to mind of women who've gone through, preserved their eggs and gone through treatment and then done the IVF process who've um, started their families with your help? I do. And it is just so inspiring. I recently saw someone who's coming back for baby number two. And the very first time I met this patient, she had just been diagnosed with cancer. It was the absolute worst time in her life. I saw her within a day or two of her oncologist telling her she had cancer and there was just so many thoughts and things going through her head. She ended up freezing eggs. She was dating her now husband, but they were, you know, were dating at the time. And, mm-hmm. um, she subsequently finished treatment, had a baby and is now coming back and is ready for the next one. And it's just so nice because she wasn't able to conceive on her own, um, naturally. Mm-hmm. And she had those eggs to go back and to be able to use. I've also had women who froze eggs who came to see me and they conceived on their own. And then they're saving those eggs for potential other kids down the line. For women who've had chemotherapy, it can lower their egg count. And even if they conceive their first child naturally after cancer treatment, they're still at an increased risk of early menopause. And Mm -hmm. so we still want to hold on to those eggs for future children. Yeah. Well, and for me personally, I got pregnant right away the first time. And the second time we had been trying for about nine months and, you know, nothing that time. So it's, it's amazing how your body can change. And that was before my cancer treatment. So you, you just never know. And it's something that you say, you really need to be proactive and timely. If this is something that you, you want to have a family, but you know, that you want to wait a while And, you know, hopefully you're not going to get cancer, but it's a good idea to test these things out and have those resources in your pocket. Absolutely. We're lucky that I, you know, we have so much knowledge on this and knowledge is power and it allows us to be proactive. And I think we're really, you know, it's a fortunate thing for women in their twenties, thirties, and even up to early forties that there are things we can do to help and preserve fertility. Women often say, you know, I've got a silly question or, you know, I know I should know this, but, and I want to send out the message too, that you shouldn't know anything about fertility. You don't have to be an expert when you sit down with a fertility doctor. Our job is to kind of answer all of the questions and it's normal not to know these things. We spend so much of our life being told how not to get pregnant. I was nope. just thinking that same thing. Yeah, pregnant. It's it's just a complete, you know, shift in your mind and your perspective. Yeah, well, because if, if you, you know, you start being sexually active a lot of times as a teen or late teen or early 20s, and it's like, okay, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant. And we spend so much time and energy and effort. And then later when we want to, it's like, oh, well, it's not working. Why is it not working? Yeah, nobody tells you when you should start trying to get pregnant if you're, you know, emotionally and personally ready. And so, you know, it's one of those things that there's never a silly question, but if you have questions about it, it's important to reach out and to ask. And we talked about your just success stories. What are the biggest challenges for you in doing what you do, helping couples or women with their fertility? I think the biggest challenge is just when, you know, age plays a role that can be very, very difficult. I think when women have, you know, pregnancy losses or miscarriages, it's all so emotional Mm -hmm. and, you know, can be very difficult, but there are so many more success stories. And I think I really benefit from the fact that 
the IVF kind of technology has really advanced and we've advanced and also, you know, by being part of a group and not just treating the physical patient, but learning all of the different components that are so important to comprehensive care. I love that. Now, do you have other than, um, does Prelude have a good website with a lot with information on it that listeners can go to if they're interested in learning more about fertility or where would you suggest they can go online to learn and kind of be more in depth of what we talked about today? Prelude has some information on their website, RBA, which stands for Reproductive Biology Associates, which is um, my clinic has some information. And I also really like um, sending people to um, ASRM. It's the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. And um, I don't know if we can set up a link, but it's www.asrm.org. And when you go to that website, you'll see on the left, there's actually a whole section geared towards patients. And the other section is geared toward physicians. And I like it because we have to be careful as wonderful as social media is for raising awareness blogs and things are not always accurate and Mm -hmm. ASRM website is written in an accurate manner and it's written in English. Sometimes it can be so hard to understand medical jargon and all of the terms and they do a really good job of just writing it specific for patients so that it's easy to understand and I think it's a great place to go to learn about more information. Perfect. Well, thank you. I will definitely, when I, when I highlight the show again later this week and um, put it on my social media, I will definitely put that out there. So listeners, it was www.asrm.com and Dr. Jesse Rubin, thank you so much for, for being here today and giving us your time. You are welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a pleasure and I actually learned a lot. So I, I, it's, it's not that I'm doing fertility anytime soon because that ship has sailed, but for others out there, I hope this has been helpful. So listeners, if you or a loved one need our services, please go to breastfriends.org and check out patient programs. You can make a donation on our website or by texting BF radio to 41444. You can find our show on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also watch now all of the 2022 episodes on the Breast Friends YouTube channel. If you would like to be my guest or nominate yourself to share a warrior story, email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.